welcome to season four, episode four of Grace or Grit. This is a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as a pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. And joining me for the podcast from the continent of Africa is my co-host, Patrick Reed. Patrick, how are things going with you? Oh, they're going well. It's uh, it's 101 degrees Fahrenheit out today, so it's a warm one. But yikes! Uh, I'm thankful that thankful that the air conditioning guy came by and fixed my AC in my office. It went out the other day, but he charged it up and it's working. So God is good. <laughs> <laughs> you got the air on. I got the heat on. It's 46 here, which is not bad. But I'm sure you would be your teeth would be chattering at 46. <laughs> Yeah, that would be hard to survive that. <laughs> right. You guys got your dry wells completed now? Yeah, dry wells are done. Uh, so we're all, we're getting ready ready for the rainy season. We got a few months to go, but thankful that that is uh, complete. I look forward to hearing about the difference in your flooding and runoff in this coming <laughs> raining season. Well, the title of our podcast episode today is this faith and finance really the title should be nest egg versus giving so maybe that'll be the title faith and finance faith i don't know if i can say that faith and finance nest egg versus giving um this is another suggested topic first one i believe that has been suggested by our mutual friend chad shelley and so we want to thank him for this topic i went looking through our old episode titles with my terrible memory. I can't recall what we've talked about in the past, but I didn't find any where we were discussing money. So I think this is our first podcast on money, <laughs> which is no All surprise. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you like this topic, but I don't, I have to admit that I, I do not number one, consider myself to be any kind of authority on finance. I don't even like to talk about it, but and, you know, I'm not sure exactly why that is. I don't want to be misunderstood. I've certainly seen preachers talk about money and <laughs> the wrong message came across, at least to me anyway, and I don't want to be guilty of that. And I know when you start talking about money, you get right to the heart of, you know, what matters to people a lot of times. And so maybe that's just a little bit of my cowardice showing up. I don't, I don't like to uh, rile people up. I like to keep the peace. I know some people wouldn't believe that, but it's true. I don't like uh, rubbing the cat the wrong way. I'm the grace and you're the grit. At least that's what I keep saying. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, even even if uh, even if, if I were not a little bit afraid to talk about money, because the topic is truly so relevant, um, I think it's easy to say things that could be misunderstood or misapplied, and I don't want to do either one of those. So. Well, you know, when I was uh, researching a little bit of this, uh, just pulled up just a topic study in my logo software, and it comes up with 163 passages related mm -hmm. to money in the Bible. Yeah. So I think God had a lot to say about it. <laughs> he, he did. Uh, you know, Ecclesiastes 10.19 says money answers to all things. Uh, there's just... There's just not a topic you can talk about where money doesn't somehow, you know, play a role. 
Um, if I love my wife, I'll spend money on her. You know, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You come up with, if you want to eat, you got to spend some money to do it. You know, it doesn't matter what you want to talk about. Money's going to, um, have, have some role to play. And so, yeah, the Bible says an awful lot about money. In fact, I came up with some basic principles that, uh, might be a good springboard, but I think before we even get into those principles, just kind of, uh, kind of talking without a plan here concerning money. I think one of the questions that a lot of Christians come up with right off is, at least I've heard it many, many times, is tithing required in the New Testament. And uh, so I've, I've changed my position on that over the years. Have Have you come to a settled position on that that you can defend biblically? Yeah, I'm fairly comfortable saying that the the tithe that's spoken about in the Old Testament, which was, well, I think it comes to something like 22 or 23%. You know, there's 10% plus there was a lot of other things added on top of it. So my understanding is if you add it all up, it's like 20, 20 some percent of the total right. income. Yep. Um, I don't believe that's required by uh, Christians today. Specifically, I think we're not under the law, but we're under grace. Right. However, I think the principle uh, of giving still applies. And so I think Christians should be giving. And there's many, many, many verses, of course, in the New Testament that talks about being a joyful giver um, and how we should be giving. Um, I just don't. And I, and I think we should be giving regularly, too. Um, but I don't think there's necessarily a, you know, it needs to be 10 percent or it needs to be 25 or, or something like that. Um, I think we should be giving generously, um, but how much you're giving or percentage of what you're giving you and God. And um, you've got to work that out. Yeah, I, I, I agree myself. I agree with that totally. And I compare it to the six days commandment. Six days you should labor and do all your work. And the seventh day is, is a day of rest. You get to Colossians. And, you know, you find Paul saying, hey, it's between you and God. You know, um, some people consider every day the same and some people uh, deal with Sabbaths and holy days and feast days and their conscience directs them in that way. And they honor God with Thanksgiving, you know, in that way. And I think um, I think tithing kind of falls into the same category. Uh, We need rest. Right. If you're talking about Sabbath day. Anybody that thinks, oh, I don't need to rest ever, right. you know, that's foolishness. And we need to give. We need to be generous. I think if if I think, oh, tithing's not required, man, I'm glad. I didn't want to give anyway. Well, that's a big problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's a revelation of a problem yeah. of the heart. Yeah. So, uh, and that's, I think, one of the greatest yeah, exactly. things about, I say greatest things, maybe I should say clearest things about the New Testament and living in the age of grace, it's harder to hide behind partial obedience to the law and think I'm okay when the, um, you know, the situation of the heart becomes exceedingly clear when you don't have to do something. But we all know that if you don't want to do it, that's a problem. So, yeah, I, I think there are certainly things in the New Testament that, that would tell us, pretty strongly that giving and giving generously and even giving lavishly honors God and is the natural or supernatural product of a, a heart that is full of faith. 
but just to come up with a legalistic principle, if you give this portion, then you're fine. If you don't, then you're not fine. Right. And maybe you give 50% of mm-hmm. your income. I don't know. So let me give you some of these principles and we can comment on these as we go along. I think they do uh, have real significance on our topic today. I mean, really what we're talking about is should I be saving dollars for my retirement and for my sunset years, or should I be giving those dollars to God and letting God take care of me? Or is there some place in the middle where I should be settling down? Is that kind of how you understand the topic today? Yeah, and I think it also maybe relates to the idea of retirement and some of it's tied into that, sure. Okay, yeah, the the whole idea of of uh yeah, of retire should we even be thinking about um saving for um uh, for a time when we we will just say okay, good, I don't have to work anymore. Yeah. So here's principle number 1 uh that I put down. These are just they came to me as I assume the spirit led me. Money is presented as the option that many people choose instead of God. That is incredibly significant. So if we're going to talk about holding on to the money or giving it away, which is essentially what we're talking about, then Matthew 6.24 and Luke 16.13, which say the same thing, are very relevant here. You can't serve two masters, Jesus said. You'll either hate one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which I take mammon to be the basically the idolatry of wealth these personification of wealth. So if you had a God of money or a God of wealth, like a God of harvest or a God of the sun or something else, that is the God that many people choose over the God of heaven. So because it, because money or the love of money or the, or the worship of wealth is presented as the alternative to worshiping God by Jesus, at least in this context, then it's very important for us to be able to, declare very clearly what God's expectations and our opportunities and responsibilities are in relation to faith and finance. So Patrick, do you feel like the instruction from Jesus or the statement from Jesus, you cannot serve God and mammon, is that aimed at a particular segment of humanity, just to the people he was dealing with? uh, Or is this universal? In other words, if you're not serving God, you're going to be serving some form of what the material world has to offer. Is it universal or is he just aiming this at certain people? I've always taken that passage as pretty universal. Yeah. I think in the context, um, you know, the reality is you, I mean, the principle is you can't serve two masters. Right. right. And I mean, it's the principle of idolatry. You're worshiping something other than God. So if you're worshiping money, you have an idol, you can't be worshiping God too, yeah. right? Jesus isn't your master, right? You're not following Jesus because if you're following money, that's not the direction Jesus is going. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit. Um, and every other option is going to be a material option. Um, that's what idolatry is. So I agree with that. So... That right there has got to be relevant. If you're talking about uh, saving or giving, just generically speaking, holding on to your money or giving it away, uh, investing it in eternity, essentially, 
this is definitely a relevant passage to consider. You can't serve both God and, and money. The second principle is linked to the first one. The love of money is the root of all evil. I'm sure all of our listeners already know that, but the Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So if our decision to be, you know, investing in our, you know, retirement is a result of our love of money, then that would be problematic, even if nest egg, even if we come to the conclusion that nest egg saving is a noble and good thing, it's not noble and good if your motivation is your love for money. So that's pretty clear. The third principle I found uh, that I thought of, earthly money can be used to invest in eternal wealth. And I don't know, Patrick, you might have been the one that finally explained this to me. I can't remember for sure who it was. I struggled with this verse for a long time. Luke 16, 9, Jesus said, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting, into an everlasting home. So what, what's it called when we, when you take your American money and turn it into, uh, into the Gambian money? What's that called? Uh, exchange exchange thank you it's a word i can't grab mm -hmm. yeah so <laughs> we can exchange our earthly wealth for heavenly wealth by using our material possessions and resources to invest frankly in the salvation of souls that's the uh end game it seems of luke chapter 16 verse 9 so that's pretty significant you know i can't take my nest egg with me but i can take souls with me so Giving to missions, for example, would be far superior to, uh, you know, me just having an extra chunk of money in the bank. Yeah, I think I preached on this verse. It's coming back to me now. Yeah. I'd forgotten yep. about that. It's been a while. <laughs> yep. That, I believe I believe that is where I first realized that that's what he was talking about there. And since then, I've found other Orthodox uh, Bible interpreters who have said the same thing. But for some reason, I had not encountered that previously. So giving is saving. It's just saving in heaven. Saving here. <laughs> That's right. And then uh, the fourth principle I have is how we use our material resources tells us whether or not we will be trustworthy with spiritual riches. That's Luke chapter 16, verse 11. Uh, yeah. um, Jesus said, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And so how we use our material possessions tells us a lot about, you know, what God can trust us with that is of eternal value. I guess that begs the, the question, what are the true riches? What do you take the true riches to be? I think in the context of that, he's talking about the, you know, the kingdom, right? The uh -huh. eternal, uh, the eternal kingdom and, you know, God owns everything. So you know, I, I, we have some some pictures of it, but I don't think we're going to truly know what all of that is until we're there. But we know it's really beyond our comprehension, you know. Yeah. And of course, it's in the same context of the verse that I just shared, uh, verse nine, which says, you know, make your make for yourselves friends of the of the unrighteous mammon and being faithful in a little you know, faithful in, in that which is small will give you opportunities to be faithful in things that are large. And that's definitely a, key, a kingdom principle. 
you be faithful in a little, I'll make you ruler over much. So, yeah, if if I can't be wise with 10 bucks, I'm not going to be wise with a million bucks. And I'm not going to be wise with spiritual opportunities either and eternal opportunities. So, so that's interesting Then um, and connected. Then we are not to seek after riches. That one's pretty clear. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4, labor not to be rich. And connected with that, he says, cease from your own wisdom. Because earthly wisdom would say, well, that's foolishness. Of course, you should labor to be rich. But that's not a noble aim and goal. I'm going to be a rich guy. Well, you're a fool, according to Solomon, if that's your goal in life. According to Jesus also, because he talked about uh, the guy who, you know, tore down his little barns and built bigger barns. And he had striven to be rich. And when he was rich, he's like, Hey, I'm going to retire. Jesus said, no, you're actually going to die. And you're a fool. Who's going to get all this stuff. Proverbs 23, five, the verse right after verse four, obviously says wealth is fleeting, uncertain, and not dependable. Uh, Will you set your eyes on that, which is not for riches, certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. So, and that's kind of a similar principle to what Jesus said concerning the the moth and rust, you know, corrupting our earthly wealth. Uh, you can never hold on to it for sure. If you save it, the bank can go under. If you invest it, you know, your investments can flop. If you put it in a mattress, the economy can crash. You know, if you if you put it in gold, it can be stolen. <laughs> There's just no way to completely secure uh, your wealth in earthly terms. So wealth is not dependable. There, are, There is some security in wealth, but it also requires you to spend a lot of it to try to be secure and you're never really truly secure. So but what we invest in eternity is, is secure. Okay. Stop me if there's something you need to say along the way here. I sure will. We are number seven. We are to hold our possessions loosely. Uh, which makes sense based upon Proverbs 23, 4, and 5. Psalm 62, 10 says, if riches increase, because God does make some men rich, even though they're not particularly pursuing riches, God does do that. He makes certain people wealthy. He did Solomon. And if if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Uh, so don't fall in love or hold tightly to that wealth. Hold your possessions, your wealth loosely, because uh, they can be taken from you, and they're not. You're not taking them with you. Nobody hauls a U-Haul behind the hearse, is the old saying. And then number eight: be generous with what you have. Luke chapter six, verse thirty-eight: Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give to your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet or that you um, distribute with, the set with that same measure, it will be measured to you again. And I think this is an extremely broad principle. We're going to talk about the different ways that we can give, but I mean, this is very broad, just giving at every opportunity to, you know, to every worthy cause, Um, not just giving to God, but of course, even giving to a poor man, the Bible says, is making a loan to God. So uh, I think in every case, a generous heart is is a spiritual heart. And this principle is very broad. So not only does God give to you, but if you give to others generously or liberally, as the Bible describes it, then others will will give generously or liber- liberally to you. The Bible says the liberal soul shall be made fat. 
So if you don't have enough, give, be, be generous with what you have and you'll find that you end up with more. Even though that's not our goal, it is the formula that God gives us. I've certainly had circumstances in my life where I've uh, experienced that principle over and over again. Then number nine, God does make some people rich, but even those riches are a temptation and can be a great distraction. I got a couple of verses for this one. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So um, that goes back to the, I guess, the earliest principle in this set that you can't serve God and mammon because you will trust, you'll be tempted anyway to trust in how much money's in the bank if you end up with money in the bank. If you have no money in the bank, you have no choice but to trust in God uh, or to be bitter against God. I mean, that's an option. And then Ecclesiastes 5.12, Solomon said, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not let him sleep. So it's kind of the same principle. Uh, riches are a temptation and a distraction uh, if you end up with you know, disposable wealth. And then my final um, observation, just in general principles concerning money, money is worth pursuing to some degree if you have in mind to use it for benevolent good. I think some people lie to themselves and say that their reason for pursuing wealth is so they'll have to give to others, but they spend an awful lot of it on, you know, extravagant, selfish pursuits. And I'm including myself in that category, right? I hope I'm, I make more money so I can give more money, but I, I still end up spending a, a larger proportion on myself than I do on anybody else. But Ephesians 4.28 says, let him who stole still no more but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needs. So working so that you will have something to give is certainly a noble perspective. That's, you know, that, that principle applies even broadly to, you know, the reason we strive for the mastery as Paul described it so that we may earn crowns that we may cast them at the feet of Jesus, not for our own glory, but for his glory. So working to have so we can give is a very, very broad, universal, and eternal principle. So those are the 10 I thought of. Were there any principles uh, that really stood out to you that maybe I didn't cover? Uh, no, I think uh, I think what we need to talk about next, though, is Tyrant, because um, to me, this is where it all stems from, right? If we want to talk about a nest egg, this is, I think, it's maybe not everybody's reason for saving, but I think the majority of the people, this is what they're saving for, right? Right. Yeah. It's probably 100%. safe to say that. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. No. Yeah. So, so let's get specifically to that topic of retirement then. Um, so do I save for retirement or give away those dollars? you know, um, to the poor or to some other, you know, noble endeavor. Uh, and you know, how about the rich young ruler? How does he fit into this category is probably relevant here as well. Jesus said, give everything you've got away and come follow me. Is that basically what he's saying to everyone who wants to come follow him? There's certainly passages that sound that way. That's what was going on in the book of Acts early on. People who were coming to Christ were just, 
you know, giving extravagantly, selling their possessions and giving all of the proceeds to the apostles or to the church. And then, of course, they were, when they needed something, they were coming and saying, hey, I need some grocery money, but that seems relevant here. And, you know, how do those stories jive with Solomon's words, which sounds like uh, laying up treasures on earth? You know, Proverbs 13, 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Um, so, you know, is there an Old Testament, New Testament contrast there? What do you think is going on with that passage? Yeah, I, I do think there are some differences uh, in particular with money um, as and there's differences between the Old Testament, and the New Testament, the Old Testament, many passages are talking to the Jews and the Jews had very specific promises from God. And a lot of it involved material wealth, uh, land, you know, physical things and the New Testament. It's there's a shift. It's to spiritual things. Right. And if you think about the rich young ruler, I don't think he's that applies to everyone. Um, but I think it applies to everyone who has the same issue that he had. So if if your issue of being able to follow God is because you're trying to serve two masters, like I think the, that was the problem with the rich young ruler, then I think it does apply to you. Maybe mm-hmm. you do need to sell everything. If if your wealth is getting in the way of you being able to follow God, then get rid of it, right? Mm-hmm. That, it doesn't make any sense. What's the point in keeping wealth that just separates you from God? Yeah, that's um, that's the same. I'll let you go ahead here, but that's the same with Jesus saying, if, you're, if your eye is going to send you to hell, pluck your eye out. If your hand's going to send right. you to hell, cut your hand off. Yeah, exactly. And so I think it's the same principle here. You know, if that's uh, an issue for you, if that's if if money or your wealth is causing you not to be able to follow God, then yeah, by all means, give it all away. Um, but I wouldn't say this is it applies to everyone. You know, universally, right. I don't think everyone needs to give away all of their money. Um, but I do think there is a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, from what I see, um, because there's just a shift in the way you see uh, in Jesus's teachings about money. Um, and his parables and um, the apostles' teachings about money. Um, it's not about gathering material wealth anymore. Uh, right. Whereas I think during the time of the Jews, there was a, an aspect of that. And I think God worked with them and worked through, you know, just like you know, there was a change in, uh, you know, marriage, right? Uh, God kind of looked, I don't know if you'd say, looked the other way when it came to marrying multiple women. Right. Mm-hmm. It was, but it was acceptable within the Jewish culture. Mm-hmm. So I think there are differences as we transition into the New Testament. And I think money is one of them. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you don't see the early church as an example of building wealth. You know, right. it's the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. When Paul started getting the gospel elsewhere in the world, he started collecting funds to take back to the Jerusalem saints because the Jerusalem saints were, were in dire straits financially. Mm-hmm. They were suffering. So they were definitely not wealthy. Yeah, exactly. And if you read some of you know some of his letters, where he's asking people to give, you can get a lot of the principles um, on giving from those as well. Mm, right. But this this idea of retirement, I don't know. I guess my question is, you know, I think I'm going to say most people, at least what I've heard from other people, is they they want to save lots of money. So that one day when they're 60 or 65 or, or whatever it is, 
they can retire and then they can just relax. Right. It seems to be the American culture from what I can tell. Right. So my question is, is this biblical? Right. Yeah. We're supposed to rest or in eternity, this... not here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I'm not saying that you necessarily need to work to make money your whole life. Maybe God provides for you and you're able to do different things, uh, retire from a job that pays you and do other ministry type work. I know a lot of people that do that. Right. Um, but, I, but I guess the question is, are, are, we, are we using biblical wisdom or are we using worldly wisdom when we think we should retire and that's why we need to be saving a bunch of money? Right. So let me re I, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent, but let me play devil's advocate a little bit and repackage this. So I'll be Patrick and you can be Dave here for a minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I believe there are people who save money saying, you know, someday I'm, I won't have to work and I can just travel and relax and, you know, enjoy the beauties of, of whatever it is that they're interested in. Uh, and that's kind of the American dream of sorts anyway, but there are also people who, who package this very differently. I don't want to be a burden on society. I don't want to be a burden on my loved ones. So I'm going to save money so that when I'm not able to work and take care of myself that way, I will have enough set aside that I can take care of myself. You know, that's that at least seems harder to attack. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. But I would also question, and, and this will, I think we'll talk about, I want to talk about this in a minute, but in what it is they feel they need. Mm. Um, because, ah. you know, if you look at, if you look at how Americans are living, um, it's, it, there seems to be this assumption that, you know, they need so much money in order to live the way they feel they need to be living. Um, and so I would just say maybe they need they they should ask themselves do do I really need all these things, and it, are there things that God wants me to be giving to instead? You know I don't know the answer for that, and I'm not trying to speak for anybody specifically. You know I have, I have no idea what your circumstances are, but I think we need to be careful that we don't get caught up into what the culture is saying, because the culture tells us we need to have certain things, right? Um, but my question would be, does, does God feel we need those things? And maybe yeah. we do, maybe we don't. Um, but if you look at some of the statistics, 90% of all Americans are in debt. Mm. And so that's a lot of Christians that are in debt too, um, that are spending, and we're talking about like credit card debt, um, but I'm sure you'd probably get to 100% if you go beyond credit card debt. Um, I guess the question is, why do we feel we need so much stuff that we right. actually need to borrow and pay interest to get it because we can't get it fast enough because yeah. we don't make enough money to get it as fast as we can get it yeah. that we want it. Yeah. It sounds like maybe we're dealing with the wrong question because most, uh, most people are probably not dealing with nest egg versus giving. Um, they're dealing with debt versus giving <laughs> is, is probably the, yeah. the big problem. There's a, well, yeah, I think there's both. Although I do know some people that are in debt and saving money. I really haven't quite understood that financial plan, but right. <laughs> there are people who do that also. 
I'd say get out of debt first before you start trying to save money. Cause yeah. the, you know, the, you're probably paying more interest <laughs> than you're earning, but right. Yeah. And those are wisdom principles. If somebody says, well, that's y'all, y'all meddling in something that has nothing to do with the spiritual realm. You know, there are whole books of the Bible that are basically wisdom books and uh, Ecclesiastes, mm-hmm. Proverbs, James, you know, we get a lot of really practical information about, you know, um, not being foolish in how we handle. And that's kind of what Jesus was saying. You know, I can't trust you with eternal things if you don't even know how to wisely handle, you know, the material things of life. I would say the Bible says a lot about debt and it's, yeah. it's not generally positive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We want to be comfortable and secure and, you know, have extra so that we can entertain ourselves with, you know, whatever our whims are. And many of us are living, I speak for myself, are living a life, even though I don't consider myself to be rich compared to what the world would say is rich. I am rich and that I have everything, not only everything I need, I have everything I want uh, and pretty much get everything I want. Um, So, you know, maybe my appetite for things is not as extravagant as some people. You know, I don't have a Lamborghini, but I don't want a Lamborghini, you know. (laughs) I guess if you gave me one, I'd take it, but I'd probably sell it and, you know, use the money for something else. So, but yeah, being, being content with the things that we have and uh, not living for what the world has to offer, you know, love, not the world, neither the things that are in the world is really not so much about the great, you know, vices or evils that we think of, even though that's included, but it's just, putting our tent stakes in deeply into this life is what he's talking about. And both nest egg what? savings and going into debt to have all these things is loving the world under certain yeah, context. Let me give you, yeah. Let me give you some statistics and, and this might explain why I tend to lean towards uh, being a little harsher on, on Christians on this subject because Statistically speaking, I'm not talking about a, a talking to one individual, but statistically speaking, Christians in general are not generous givers. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can see it from the numbers, right? So you have uh, a few things I looked up. So it's, it's estimated that U.S. Christians make $5.2 trillion annually. Uh-huh. And that's nearly, ha- that's nearly half of the world's total Christian income. Right. Now, of course, we're this is a broad category of Christians here, but it's, right. it's hard to get all the, you know, detailed statistics. Um, but out of, um, uh, this is uh, evangelical Christians, uh, somewhere only somewhere in the area of only 10 to 25% actually tithe or give regularly um, right. to the church or to, to anything for that matter. And then the average income uh, the average percentage of their income that they give to church and or charity combined is 4%. Mm. So <laughs> I think in general, you know, American Christians, at least if we're talking about them, they make almost half of all the money that Christians make around the entire world. I mean, 5.2 trillion and they only give 4% of their income mm. to, um, church and or charities right so that means you know they're spending the other 96 percent on themselves right or they're saving it for a later day or paying interest and that just 
or paying interest. Yeah, yes. They might be in debt and paying interest. There could right. could be that too. Yeah, a combination of all those things. And so I, so I don't know. To me, it's it's kind of embarrassing, right? You know, um, <laughs> that's I think that's why you have a lot of pastors that want to preach that you need to be tithing ten percent, or you know, they probably want to be saying you need to be tithing a twenty two and a half percent. Um, you know, cause that's what the, the Jewish people were paying. They, they right. want to say that cause they're like, what's wrong with you? Why are you not giving? You know, I think the point is you shouldn't have to be told that you right. need to be giving. You should be doing it because you want to. Right. But for some reason we have millions of Christians in the U S that don't want to give. Yeah. And in fact, there's a good percentage of them that don't give anything at all. Yeah. And it's just, it's sad. You know, you think about, think about all the churches around the rest of the world that have hardly anything and american christians are living in you know with huge amounts of wealth mm-hmm. and they do nothing to help them and you've got biblical examples showing like you just brought up of paul raising money for the church in jerusalem um this is what our churches should be doing they should be helping each other out uh, not to mention you know spending money to get the gospel around the world as well right um and you know even in their own neighborhoods but they're, from what I can tell, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not speaking about one individual person. This is just a generality. It seems to me that the American church is just interested in being comfortable. Yeah. Um, and that's just not what the Bible talks about, what the Christian life is supposed to be about. No. And uh, I think there needs to be some, some major changes in the hearts of uh, Christians in the church. And I think you'll see it if you know, when they start to give, but yeah. I think what we spend our money on shows us what we truly care about. Sure. And Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Exactly. So, so if you're spending your money on material things, that just shows your, your heart is with the world. Yeah. If you're spending your money on kingdom things on, on uh, spiritual things, then that's where your heart is. Well, we've probably lost all of our listeners by now, but in case we still have someone listening, (laughs) the Bible says, set your affection on things above, not on the things of this world. And that really is the key. If our affections are on eternal things, then we won't have a problem responding to the spirit, you know, who says, hey, give to this person, give to this project, give to this ministry, give to this need. We'll respond freely because we're holding our material things Loosely in our affections are, you know, on heavenly things. And we can't run from this truth where Jesus said, don't be worrying about tomorrow. Don't be saying, oh, what are we going to eat? If we, if I give this to you, what would I eat? What would I drink? What would I wear? And he adds that our heavenly father knows what we need and he's going to take care of us. So, you know, if we choose the faith route and give and give and give and give sacrificially and give beyond what makes sense. God sees that. And if we're doing it humbly and out of a sincere heart of love for him and for his people and for the burdens of the people around us, God is going to, he's going to take care of us. Now his definition, as you said earlier, of taking care of us is not the same as the American dream definition. (laughs) But we won't we won't care about that anyway, you know, if we if we come to this revived perspective. So this is this is very convicting, even though I don't actually deal with money very often. 
my wife handles our finances. But, you know, there are times when I have my hand, you know, involved in, uh, in money. And I certainly have my hand involved in the things that money gets me, you know? So when she asked me, do you want something? I'm not very hesitant to tell her what I want. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't hide behind the fact that I'm not the one writing the checks. You know, I was just thinking, um, what am I, I'm 42 years, 42 years old now. And I was just thinking back and I can't think of one single time that I regret giving money mm -hmm. to charity, to the church, to someone in need. Not one time do I regret that, but I can, I can think of a whole lot of times I regret things I bought or I wasted money on. Right. Oh yeah. And I've got a lot of those <laughs> Count, countless. Yeah. So, countless. Same. <laughs> right. So, you know, I think that it just, my experience should tell me, Hey, you know, I don't regret anything that I gave away. Um, so that, that should show us that, um, you know, we, we should probably err on that side rather than yeah. erring on the side of holding on to too much or spending too much on yeah. things we want. <laughs> yeah. Impulsive spending, much regret, uh, impulsive giving, no regret. And of course, if you spend no. it, then you don't have it to give. So, you know, that there is mm -hmm. that. So, you know, I think we have to be very careful to avoid canceling out the words of God with our own counsels. But I was trying to think of general ideas if we think about the amount of money that comes in. So if we're talking about income and what we're going to do with that money. And I kind of divided it up into seven categories here. And this is not exactly the same as the as the principles I was looking at above, but some of it does overlap. So this is kind of a summation thing. Uh, definitely number one, work. If you can work, work to earn your own bread. That's biblical. So, and then pay your bills, pay what you owe. It's not okay to give what you owe to, to someone else, to someone else. So if you, if you owe Billy, don't give it to Bob, pay your bills, pay what you owe. That's a biblical principle. We're to keep our word and meet our obligations. The third thing is take care of the needs of your own household. If you have a wife or children or relatives, uh, the Bible says if a man doesn't provide for his own, especially for those of his own house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Uh, that is worse than an unbeliever. And I have heard stories of people who were very generous to their neighbors, but didn't even take care of their own family. And that's a bizarre reality, but you do have to take care. Even in Paul's writings concerning widows, he said before the church helps the widows, the relatives of the widows should be helping the widows. So take care of the, the people of your own household. And uh, you got to define that correctly. As Patrick's always already pointed out, it doesn't mean that everybody has everything they could ever want or dream of. But you have to define needs according to what the scripture says. So, uh, standard of living is really what we're talking about there. And we need to be, uh, humble and I don't know what the right word is there. Just not extravagant in our lifestyle. That's not good stewardship. Then number four, don't use up every dollar that you have every day. I think, uh, some of the cultures of the world, even where you are, that's a real struggle, um, with people taking a dollar from one day to the next. Don't use up every dollar you have every day. Saving and even investing are noble disciplines. This is my position anyway. You're welcome to argue against it. Uh, that one's a little harder to prove from the Bible, but I think the parable of the talents demonstrates this reality. 
as does the many passages in Proverbs that condemns fools and wasters. So when, when I was a kid, I, you know, my money would burn a hole in my pocket. I don't know if you were that way, but if I got a dollar, I had to go to the store, you know, and uh, that, that money was burning a hole in my pocket. I had to go spend it. And that's just a sign of immaturity. So being able to hold on to the money until there's, you know, the opportunity to be generous or the need arises for it to be spent is certainly a discipline that we need to have as mature believers. We need to be able to to hold on and not just go spend it because we've got it. And then number five, be a generous person. Give a portion of your increase to God. And yes, 10% is the biblical example. We've already talked about what we're supposed to do with that. But uh, there's cert- if you're looking for a place to... If you're like, well, I don't know what sh- what I should give. There's certainly plenty of examples in the scripture of godly people giving 10, 10% and even being commanded at certain places to give 10%. Give offerings to God above what you feel is your obligation. That's a, a free will offering of worship. Give alms to the poor and to the disadvantaged around you. So we call that good and welfare in our church, but uh, helping those who have less than you do. And then giving to those who ask for your contribution is something that Jesus taught. As long as you have no good reason to doubt the sincerity of the petition, if someone asks you for something, Jesus said, give, just, just be generous. And so, you know, that's a, a good principle to follow. Then don't, uh, Solomon said, don't loan what you can't afford to loan and be very careful who you loan to. So there is that principle to consider, uh, not to be foolish in how we, loan money, not to loan with usury, uh, that is with high interest rates, that's ungodly. And we should never, I believe the Bible teaches we should never be charging interest to our our family members. Uh, That's just a wisdom principle and ethical principle. And then don't borrow beyond your own power to liquidate your assets. So if you borrow something and it immediately is not worth what you paid for it, then that's a foolish purchase. What do you think about those seven? Uh, Fairly good principles? uh, Yeah, I think number four, I think we have to also balance number four with Mark 12, 41, uh, with the widow who came and gave everything she had. It was all she had to live on, and yet she gave it all. And um, uh, Jesus obviously commended her for that. He says, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box for they all contributed out of their abundance but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had all she had to live on yeah so i think um you know it depends certainly it's a a wise principle to not waste your money but i don't think it's a bad thing if you just gave it all and Mm -hmm. out of faith we're asking god to provide too right but I mean, if you spent your last two cents on, you know, I don't know, the latest video game, maybe right. that's not so wise. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you pushed back on that because I do agree, uh, especially if the Holy Spirit leads you to give everything you've got, then give everything you've got. And uh, there, there are certainly circumstances like that, and we should give sacrificially and in faith. And sometimes that may require us to give absolutely everything or to give more than we feel like we can reasonably afford because we're like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do next if I give this. And yet it is what we're supposed to give. So yeah, 
glad you pushed back on that one. And that, of course, kind of leads us to the last thing I had to bring up here, which is about faith giving. There are many churches who practice what's called faith promise giving, where they basically pray for the leadership of the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, if you will give me you know, the resources to do this, I'm going to give this certain amount. This is what I believe you would have me to to commit to our missions program for this year. And I've seen some churches that have really been blessed through that faith giving process. I'm not saying it's required in the Bible, but it, it does seem to reflect good biblical principles. And we just talked about sacrificial giving and spirit led giving. So there are times when there are exceptional circumstances, uh, even fasting. We haven't talked about that at all, but the, the biblical principle of not meeting my own needs so that I can meet the needs of someone else, you know, that that's part of the principle of fasting. We think of fasting just as skipping meals so that we can spend time in prayer, but that's not the only concept in the Bible of fasting. So um, it's not always, you know, meet the needs of your own household, especially if it's your own mouth that you're talking about. So a couple, you know, you and Shell could agree together, hey, we're not going to eat supper tonight because we know so-and-so that needs some help. So we're going to take the supper we were going to eat and go give it to them if you were in a in a circumstance. And that's that's not, you know, you not meeting Shell's needs. That's you together, you know, working for a spiritual purpose. So there are certainly exceptions to some of what we said here today. And it's possible that God could call some of us to make extravagant sacrifices for the purpose of contributing to some ministry or some mission work or whatever. Um, I think it's important to say that. So while we certainly live in a day of grace and liberty, our liberty was given to us so we could, uh, our liberty was not given to us. I left a word out of my transcript here, out of my script. Our liberty was not given to us so we could get out of noble pursuits. Our liberty was given to us to free us up to pursue righteousness without fear and guilt, without that pressure. And um, so it really is a great way to evaluate your heart. If I don't have to do something, will I do it anyway? That reveals, you know, what, what the heart really has in it. And, you know, we say our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, we're depraved and all those truths, but God has given us a new heart and we need to not forget that. And that, that which is born from above cannot sin. So that, that new heart will lead us in the right direction. It's the spirit within us if we will allow God to work that way for us and through us and in us. <clears throat> so let's simplify the questions, Patrick. We'll close up with this if it's okay with you. Is building a nest no. egg intrinsically evil? Yes or no? No. No, it just depends. That's right. That's what I believe as well. <laughs> Is giving away all that you have always good and noble and what God is uh, commanding us to do. Say that again. Is giving all that we have away always good and noble and what God is commanding us to do. Well, no, I guess it depends on what you gave it away to. Yes. Whether God wanted you to. <laughs> yeah. So we're what I'm really doing is I'm saying this is not a legalistic thing. You've got to follow the principles of Scripture and listen to the Holy Spirit. You you are and I am always supposed to be willing to give away all things. 
So sincerely willing to surrender whatever God asks us to give up, that is always the case. Um, and then the final question, can we reasonably expect that God might have us do both? In other words, uh, to save for uh, the end of my life, to, um, as I said earlier, to uh, help those who will have to take care of me when I get too old, and at the same time be giving generously away, is it possible that God would have us do both? I think the answer is yes. I think it very is. It could be for you. It might be different for someone else, but mm -hmm. I think it depends on you know how the Spirit leads you in that area. That's why we have God gives us that liberty and free will and His yeah. grace um, to rely upon Him. Um, and I think if we're truly relying upon Him and we're not relying upon the money, uh, then we certainly can. Yeah. So I think that leads me to this verse. I got to look it up because I can't quote it exactly. Oh, I must be in the wrong version. Oh, I can't spell. That's my problem. <laughs> so, brethren, this is Galatians 5.13. Brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. That's King James. Let me, uh, let me grab another version here. You've been called to live in freedom. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. So whatever your conclusions are as a listener from listening to this podcast, if somehow we have given you an excuse uh, to pursue your own selfish ideas, then we've not served you well. And if we've given you some list of rules that you think, oh, I'll do this and God will love me more, I'll do this and God will owe me this or that, then we've failed you. <laughs> so you are free, but pray that God will give you a generous heart and a wise heart uh, and a willing heart that you would use the resources and opportunities God gives you to serve others and to serve him well. Is that a decent conclusion? I think so. All right. Well, I guess that about does it. Thank you, Patrick, for spending some time with me today. May God bless you and your family and your ministries continually. Um, to our listeners, no matter what platform you're listening to this podcast on, be sure to let others know about it and listen to other episodes. Like, share, subscribe, comment, review, etc. And if you have any feedback, we would love to hear from you. If we, we've said something that you feel like is not biblical and not accurate or that could be misunderstood or misconstrued, we would love to be corrected. We want to be correctable. So send me an email, pastorbigred at aol.com, and uh, be glad to carry on a conversation with you that way. God bless you all, and we hope you'll listen again next time. Thank you.